free. And there was just such a sense, wasn't there, though, of God speaking his strength and his joy. I think there's joy for us to receive today um, as his body. So excited for the day. Um, I'd love to just start. Um, before Carl comes up to speak, I've just got five minutes. And what I would love to do, this might surprise you a little bit, I would love to give you a very short theology lesson. Is anybody up for that? Okay, nobody, one person is up for that. I'm encouraged. Carl's up for that, wonderful. And um, look, could you possibly pull that this way? That'd be fantastic. Um, I want to just talk about spiritual gifts, of which prophecy is one gift, before we think that we're the main event. Spiritual gifts are given to the church body. They're not given to individuals, they're given to the church body. They're given to the people of God. Um, and they're given... Um, as a, as a basic building block of the church, so that the church functions healthily. So I'd love you to turn with me to Ephesians 4, and that's where we're going to start this morning. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 15, we're going to read the passage together. So the reason that I'm doing this is just so that we all have a common framework for where we're going and why we're doing this this morning. So Ephesians 4 um, says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us in that one body, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then moving to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Wonderful um, passage of scripture. Um, and I would love you just to turn to the person next to you. I'm going to get you working already. hope that's okay. Um, tell them one thing that you learn from the passage that is the purpose of spiritual gifts. What are they for? Why do we have them? Turn to the person next to you. What is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? <laughs> Maybe you're all thinkers, not talkers. Okay, anyone got anything? Want to shout out? 
to prepare God's people, encouragement, I heard over here, yeah, unity, unity massive one, unity in the faith, to build the church up, up. yeah, maturity. maturity, maturity in Christ, yeah, and equipping God's people to serve, so they have a purpose, these are not like flashy badges that we just get to wear to look great, um, they are actual tools given to the church body to use and they have a purpose. And then at my church we use this passage from Ephesians 4 quite a lot. Um, we talk about it being a seminal passage because basically Ephesians was written to a church in formation. So it was written for instruction. Whereas um, other passages that deal with the, the spiritual gifts like Corinthians and Romans, they're written to correct problems. And so we often talk about this being a seminal passage for understanding the, the basis of spiritual gifts. And we use a tool called uh, a shape, basically, to help us remember this. Now, tools, like any tools, have their limitations as well as their uses. So if you hate this, then don't hate me, basically. Um, you don't have to love it. But it helps me remember. So this is a pentagon, a slightly misshapen pentagon. Um, so I, I just use this to help me remember. So we've got the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, or sometimes called the pastor, and the teacher. And what we are doing here today is we are exploring this and what we're doing over this next year. We want to really delve into what does it look like to healthily and with maturity steward and carry the prophetic as part of the body, as part of the whole. Because Stephen and Joy and I really believe that when the prophets flourish, then the whole body flourishes. It has a kind of knock-on effect. Um, and specifically what uh, we're exploring today is the connection and relationship between the apostle and the prophet. So how do these two work together? And what does that look like in our local context, but also for the nation? Ephesians 2, if you're taking notes, this is really important verse. Ephesians 2 verse 20 tells us that God's household, his people, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And so I have this suspicion that if God is moving in Scotland, if God is rebuilding his church, if God is establishing his kingdom, then we're going to see apostles and prophets coming out of the woodwork like we've never seen them before, right? And to be honest with you, I, I see that. I see that already. Um, so many young people in the church that I am privileged to be part of carry the gifts of the apostle or the prophet. They are apostolic and prophetic people because God's on the move. And these are the two gifts that he is raising up and calling out. And so there's something fundamentally important about how those two work together that we really want to delve into today and explore. So what is an apostle? An apostle is someone who is sent out. That's the, what the Greek for apostle means, someone who's sent out. They have big ideas. They see things like, what would happen if... They ask big questions. They love to see a vision come to life. They push forward the new thing. So in scripture, this is someone like Paul who had the vision for the Gentiles to come to faith. A new idea, and he pushed out into the frontier, and he saw it come to pass. So apostles ask questions like, are we leading people to their destiny? Maybe not in that way, but they ask the question. The prophet 
one who listens to and hears from God. So in scripture, this is like Anna and Simeon in Luke 2, Agabus in Acts 11. Um, so prophetic people have a revelation of God's heart into past, present, and future. And um, 1 Corinthians 14.3 tells us that primarily the prophetic is given um, for encouragement, for strengthening, and for comfort. So that's kind of a bit of a base level framework that I've just laid for the day. So hopefully we're all on the same page. And I'm delighted to welcome Carl. Carl Martin, um, if you guys don't know him, he is a wonderful friend and uh, leader and pastor to myself and my husband. He's the senior pastor at Central and leading Ken. And it's just great to have you with us. Thank you for making the time. Carl's going to share um, some thoughts around the apostolic. Wonderful. Yeah. Hopefully not as a surprise to you. Brilliant. I wonder if you, if you have your Bibles, if you turn to um, Isaiah chapter 60. Um, let me just frame this. Um, Ke- the last time Kenny and I were teaching at the same event was about, um, I guess, three weeks ago in uh, Somerset at a large Christian conference where they put us actually in um, direct competition with each other. Um, I know you shouldn't say that, but Kenny was in one large tent and I was in the other large tent and we were doing the Bible teachings in the morning. And uh, uh, I was on about the fourth day, I, uh, I walked into the big tent just about to do my kind of fourth talk and there were three elder ladies standing outside the tent. I think they were from Somerset. And uh, they were having this conversation. I could kind of like hear it in the background. And this older gentleman walked past and said, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. That tent, Kenny Borthwick, this tent, Carl Martin. And, and immediately, all three of them went, go to Kenny Borthwick. <laughs> and and before, before I had a chance to say or do anything, they, they said, Kenny Borthwick, he goes on for about 20 minutes and it's deep and it's lovely. And, uh, and that one in there, 45 minutes, and he rants an awful lot. <laughs> and I get fidgety. <laughs> so they all went, I said, hi. <laughs> on, on my way. So you're in for a real treat tonight. And um, I promise I'll try not to rant too much. And actually, interestingly, um, I don't really know what God has for us right now. Um, and I don't claim to be an expert in this, in this thing. I've got some thoughts and some ideas that I just want to throw into the mix and trusting you guys that uh, you hear from God, that you'll better pick, pick the stuff out. You know, what, what is it God is saying, saying to us? This, these verses of scripture in Isaiah 60, the verses that have stuck with me for a season and I kind of, when, when verses keep coming back, I kind of take some serious um, notice of what God is saying arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you see darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn lift up your eyes and look about you. I'm pretty sure a better translation of those um, first few words in Isaiah 60 are not arise, shine, your light has come, but wake up, set yourself on fire. 
wake up, set yourself on fire. Because the church has been asleep for a long time, and it's about time that the light of the world set itself on fire. Because people need to see light, because we dwell in darkness. Because there's an awful lot of darkness in our nation. And uh, there's an awful lot of darkness, actually not just in our nation, but also in the church, if we're being honest, around, around what's going on. This nation is broken. I mean, latest statistics will tell us something like 2% of people in our nation actively love Jesus. Something, that, that's, that's the kind of statistics that we're being told at, at this moment in time. This is our nation. And, and even the evangelical followers of Jesus don't appear to be taking an awful lot of ground at the moment. Seems to be an awful lot of hunkering down holding on to our get-out-of-hell-free cards and hoping that Jesus comes pretty soon. Because it's scary out there. But I think the prophetic word of the scriptures says, wake up, set yourself on fire, because God is about to do something. Because God's about to do something. And, and see, here's the problem. The problem is, what he's about to do, he always wants to do through this thing called the church. Because it's his precious bride. And, um, and yet the enemy of God seems to have taken the high ground as far as the thought patterns of our culture. And, and we, we haven't got a lot of time, but you know, the, the enemy works in a number of ways. One of the ways in which he works is, to, is what in the Greek is known as okarama, or strongholds. He wants to capture us with ways of thinking that seem reasonable to us because of our experience, but actually are designed to keep us from the deep things of God. Does that make sense? So what he wants to do, he, he knows that if he shows up in bodily form, we'll go, ah, the enemy of God. <laughs> We're not going to do what he, but, but actually what he wants to do is he wants to capture us with ways of thinking that seem reasonable to us because everyone's doing it. But when it comes to it, are there to keep us from the deep things of God. So he creates religion. Layers upon layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of religious practice that keep us from the deep things of God. And you can see it all over the place. He, he develops individualism, which seems reasonable to us as a society. But it keeps us from community where we reflect the glory of God and we get about the purposes of God. He, he, he develops silos even for Christians to, to hide in and say, well, you know, we define ourselves by what we're not. Well, we're not that, we don't do this, and we don't do that, and therefore we hide away from everyone else when, when, and it keeps us from a team play that might actually change the nation. He, he, he encourages us to a poverty spirit. This is big, this is huge actually. He encourages us to a way of thinking and to generations of us being told by our parents, don't get ahead of yourself, don't get beyond yourself, don't believe too big, don't, 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 get, don't get too big for your boots, I was told, all the time. It's very difficult to get too big for your boots when you're a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But actually, increasingly, and I'm not talking about a lack of humility and I'm not talking about pride, I'm just saying the enemy keeps us from the deep things of God because we think we're not worthy of the deep things of God. And I want to talk about this particularly. The enemy sows into our culture what um, is known by the sociologists as a tall poppy syndrome. We don't like leadership. 
We've been hurt by leadership, we've been damaged by leadership, and therefore we deny leadership. Who died and made you the boss? And, and, and it seems reasonable to us to have a very flat structure, and we don't raise one person up against another person. That seems like an egalitarian culture, but the reality is, every time God wants to do something, he raises up somebody to do it. And they have to raise up a team to keep that person accountable. They have to inspire the whole body of Christ to the total work of God. But leadership is vitally important and the enemy has robbed us of leadership. And we collude with it. We collude with all this stuff. And we call it cultural, but actually it's demonic. And we need to deal with it. Because it prevents us walking in the deep things of God. And the answer lies in the church. It's in our hands. It's in our hands. And I think the answer lies in us reimagining our churches. I think the answer lies in an apostolic, prophetic movement, network. See, the church is built according to the scriptures on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And I think we have misunderstood these roles and we have undervalued their significance. Let me give you just two stories. I'll try not to go too long, Hannah. Um, give me two stories. When I, when I first um, realized the call of God on my life to ministry, I had no framework for this. I had no experience of it. I didn't have any vocabulary for it. And I went to training college. And within about three or four weeks, I realized that I shouldn't be there or I felt I was being trained for something that didn't fit who I was because the only reference they had at training college was to train me to be a pastor teacher. And if you hung around me any length of time, you'll know that pastor is definitely not top of my list. Um, but they didn't have any other framework. And the only, the only way in which I could deal with this is I went to see the principal and I said, I think, and, and, and I was actually wrong in my language, I think I'm prophetic. I think that's who I am. And, and basically, gently, he told me to shut up and learn to be a pastor teacher. But the second story I have is, uh, this is much more recent, when I did have language for some of this stuff, maybe three or four years ago, I was with um, a, a pastor of a charismatic uh, church movement. And I was we describing gifts and abilities and how we encourage others. And I said, one of the challenges I've got is that the language again and again that we use in the church is pastor. I am the senior pastor. It's a bit of a weird idea. So we've got rid of pastor because we were called everyone pastor. I said, actually, my calling is to be apostle. And honestly, he ripped into me. He said, you, you, you don't get to call yourself apostle. Only somebody else can call you an apostle. You can't call yourself. I said, that's weird, isn't it? Because I can call myself pastor. According to the same passage of scripture, I get to call myself pastor. Maybe even evangelist, but I can't call myself an apostle because somehow that's arrogant. It's not arrogant. It's just saying, this is who I am. This is what I carry. This is what I'm supposed to do with it. It's a responsibility, not an arrogance. We've misunderstood these gifts and these roles. And generally, I know I'm talking generally, and you can edit this and come back at me and write me an email. We have, we have trained pastor teachers. Our training institutions have trained pastor teachers, pastor teachers, pastor teachers. And to be honest, we're, we are reaping what we have sown. We're reaping what we sow, which is in no way, don't hear this wrongly, don't hear what I'm not saying. In no way, shape or form am I trying to undervalue the gift of pastor and teacher. We need pastors 
and teachers. But basically, I think, historically, we trained past the teachers because almost all of our training institutes were set up after revival. So Wesley and Whitfield, revival. We need pastor teachers because we need to train these people, equip these people, love these people who have come to faith. But we're not living post-revival right now. We're living in a season where we need to break ground, take ground, get out of the river and take some territory. And, uh, and, And in those seasons, what do we need? We really need to rediscover the gifts and the calling of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor teaches. We cannot expect, in fact, it's setting up people for ministry that's going to frustrate them and demoralize them. We can't expect people who are primarily gifted to be pastor teachers and trained to be presbyteros pastor teachers to change everything, to take territory, to do it well, and not to be frustrated. So God is wanting to raise up apostles and prophets. Equally, while I'm on a controversial rant, We have spawned a generation of unfiltered, unaccountable prophets. Because we have not permissioned that gift in the local body. And so if you carried a prophetic gift, you had to work it out for yourself, which was sometimes dangerous, and and you were not accountable because you had to go and do it on your own. And so you were not accountable to the local body. Equally, we have denied the apostolic gift in the local church. So the idea basically came that if you wanted to grow something, if you had an entrepreneurial plan, you had to speculate with the gifts that God had given you outside of the church, not within the body of the church, because you just got to serve the pastoral vision. And and evangelists. Evangelists generally have become... I said this to Scott Brennan, who's a prime evangelist. I said... We, we, we've allowed and permissioned evangelists to become mavericks, just doing their thing where it works. He said, we are mavericks. <laughs> but, but, we, but instead of saying, look, there is an accountability to building something here as a body, five-fold ministry, let's go after this thing and make a difference, we've, we've not permissioned it and encouraged it, and we've treated people with a kind of leper instinct. Ooh. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles. And the prophets. Let me try and explain why that's vital and important in Scotland today. Because we're in a mess. Because we need churches planted that probably don't look anything like the churches that we've imagined in the past. And some of them won't go right. And we need to accept it might be a bit messy. And, and listen very carefully, we need churches to be turned around to discover their God-given calling of discipleship and mission. Because Jesus hasn't given up on his bride. And I believe, and this is weird, okay? He caveats it. I believe that Europe will be re-evangelized the way it was originally evangelized. Through the wild Celtic fringe. <laughs> what does this happen to me? <laughs> but it only happens as the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Listen very carefully. Apostles don't just plant churches. They change culture. 
That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Apostles lead out in cooperating with the plan of God to restore all things and to reach all people. Apostles create an environment wherein the people of God, gifted in every way, take their place and their opportunity to change and cultivate culture. Apostles call out strongholds and break strongholds. Apostles take ground for the kingdom. Apostles pioneer fresh expressions of church. Apostles establish kingdom businesses. Apostles make way for every other gift. That's the call. It's the commission and prefer and release every other one of the fivefold gifts. Say, on my watch, these things are going to happen. We're going to have a prophetic culture. We're going to have an evangelistic culture. We're going to have a pastoral culture. We're going to have a culture where we teach the word of God in season and out of season. So I believe my main job is to, is to create and settle the environment and to model a culture of risk and courage and to provoke the entire body of Christ in Scotland to run with the dreams that God has placed in the hearts of the body of Christ in Scotland, to transform the nation. And then, listen very carefully, and then to join all that up Otherwise, we've just got this random, disparate thing that's happening. Actually, that, that needs to speak to that. They need to speak to this. The arm needs to speak to the leg. Because the moment the, the leg is kicking the arm, and that's not very good. And these people need their heads bashed together. And, and that needs to happen. And these people need loved and cared for. And if that part of the body is doing well, they need to bless that part of the body, which isn't doing well. And, and, and suddenly we've got a team play. Apostles... Listen, this is because this is like what Hannah asked me to speak on now. <laughs> Apostles need prophets. Um, it was just my experience. Because um, I, I, um, I almost always, this is going to sound arrogant, don't mean it to me, I almost always know the right direction. And I almost never get the timing right. I almost know, always know intuitively, prophetically, I guess, it, that we've got to go there. And I almost never hit the nail on the head as to how, with whom, when, and what timing. Apostles need prophets. Prophets awaken apostles. That's part of your job, to awaken the dreams, the apostolic dreams. The, the apostles need you. I've had um, just, um, I can point to a whole number, but two very clear um, prophetic words spoken into my life, one a number of years ago and one just, just this summer, which just awakened me again to the call that God placed in my life. I, I went to America to meet a guy who I knew was prophetic. And you know, you sometimes know you're going to meet a guy and you know he's got a prophetic word for you. Even, and I waited three or four days and finally on the last day that I was with him, he came down from breakfast and said, I had a dream about the two of you guys last night and I was with a friend and the friend, the friend got my prophetic word. <laughs> and have you ever had that happen? <laughs> I was sitting there listening to the most amazing prophetic word. Let's go, you know, I'm gonna make you to be a wise steward. I was thinking, that's, that's my word. And he turns to me and he says, and God gave me a very clear picture of you as a pirate. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I'll travel to America again together. <laughs> you know, 
a pirate. He said, no, 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 listen, this is really important. Your, your job is to command a crew that at times will look ugly and you'll have a whole number of vessels, but your job is to maraud down the coast and take back from the enemy everything that was robbed from the people of God. Kind of spoke into what God had been saying to me. I didn't really know how, how vocabulary for it. And just this, just this summer, I was uh, at, at a conference not far from here, and a senior prophetic person from a North Californian church <laughs> so, turned to me and said, to Nikki and I, and said, do you mind if I'm brutally honest with you? Uh, the answer is, yes, I do. The only prophet who says that to you, I totally mind. I just came for dinner. Um, and they spoke this stuff into our lives, which was confirming, you know, about our role as parents, um, not just for our kids and not just for our church, but in this in the nation. And that was encouraging. And then, and then he spoke this stuff uh, about not having a plan B and buying a grave plot and all this kind of stuff. And but then he said, Carl, I see the word reconstruct over your head, and your job is to reconstruct the church. And, so, and there was just just it, a a prophet's call out. Apostles, they confirm and correct vision. When I'm ministering in, in our church, I don't see as well as some of the guys who I know have a strong prophetic gift. I, you know, I know what God's given me. I'm going to deliver it. So I carry courage. And I'm, but, but actually, I'm often saying to Nikki, who carries a prophetic gift, or Hannah, what do you see? Tell me what you see. Tell me where to go. When we miss, tell me where to go. Because I don't carry it all. I don't have it all. I just, I just have a general blink on what we should do and then those very specific prophetic words that unlock what God is doing comes I want just before I finish I want to um, I think I, I want to entrust you with the beginnings of a vision that I have and that we have not because it's fully formed not because it's ready to be launched, but because I cover your prayer and your prophetic input. So over the last few years, Nikki and I and the team at Central have begun to hear from God about if, if we have something good, we need to give it away. And if we have something that God is doing with us, which is healthy, then we want to see healthy expressions of apostolic, prophetic churches all over this nation and that that should be the norm, not, not the kind of weird stuff that's going on in the corner. Um, and, and so I just wanted to, to, to share with you how I think the apostolic in me is, is working. Um, I, we want to develop an apostolic movement in this nation and partner with others to see churches transformed to see churches who are frustrated with maintenance begin to realize, re-realize their vision for mission. Um, to see churches equipped to disciple disciples who make disciples. Um, to see individuals equipped to run with the dreams that God has placed in their hearts. We want to establish an apostolic movement um, that will see fresh expressions of church established everywhere where you wouldn't imagine churches. We want to see a training school, visual and virtual, where hundreds and thousands of disciples are trained up to lead in every arena of culture. Not just church planters, but business leaders and artists and entrepreneurs. 
educationists because every mountain of culture needs transformed if the kingdom of God is fully going to be realized um, in this nation. And we want to see hubs established in every center, every center in the highlands and islands and the lowlands and the borders and the central belt. Every community having a church that is vibrant and dynamic um, and supported and connected and not disparate and a team play and doing it together. And I have this kind of audacious thought that we, in the next 20 years, could have 100 hubs and see a million people saved. And I, and I tell you this not because it, you know, not because it's all sorted out, but because that's an apostolic vision. And it needs the prophets, and it needs the evangelists, and it needs the pastors, and it needs the teachers to come around it. But without the apostles and the prophets, the church will not be built and established, and grow, and become everything that Christ has in mind. I've got a whole lot more, but I have no time. Can I just pray for it? Holy Spirit, we pray um, a prayer that we pray very regularly in our church, a wheat and chaff prayer. That which was of you and of your heart for us, would you sink it deep? Would you soften our hearts, maybe even break our hearts, so that the seed would, 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 would sink deep and begin to grow? That which was flashing at the preacher, would you blow it away on the wind so that it would have no negative impact on us? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you birth in us? Would you birth in us a vision of what you want to do? in our lives and in this nation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Wow. Wow. Just wow. Anybody up for that? Yes, I am up for that. Yes, Lord. Um, what we'd love to do just now is just bring a bit of response to what Carl shared um, over the next sort of 30 minutes or so, and then we're going to have some time reflecting individually and in groups um, what's, what's God saying, what we're going to do about it. Um, if anybody would like to use the bathroom at this point, I'm going to hold a four-minute recess. So if you'd like to stand up, stretch your legs, go to the toilet, do that just now. And, but very quickly, so toilets to the right and through the doors on the left. And also through the little Narnia side door over there, there is also a toilet through there if you feel like going adventuring.
Okay, well, the question I want to ask is what kind of prophetic people will serve this vision that Carl just outlined, this apostolic vision, the restoration of all things, changing of culture, the planting of churches, and so much more. Um, and I'd love to give a sense, of, as I have sat with the Lord and prayed, this is, I guess what I'm bringing is a sense of what I think God's calling us to, particularly as prophetic people in the nation at this time. How can we serve this apostolic vision? Um, and I've got three things, like any good preacher, three things that I think God's calling us to as prophetic people. Um, those who encourage, those who envision, and those who stir up. So starting with those who encourage. If you have been around the prophetic for any length of time, you will know 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3, off the back of your hand. Anyone want to give it to me? No? Yeah, strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Good job over there. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So if you only learn one verse about the prophetic by heart, make it that one. It is a great one. And the word encourage, I've been learning this recently, actually means to breathe courage into something, to encourage, to breathe courage into something. And that's who we are as prophetic people. That's who God is calling us to be, to people who breathe courage into the apostolic. And so we have a role to be people of life and support to the apostles. Um, so that means that I, as a prophetic person, need to be able to see the gold in Carl and in the things that he is leading before he does. Because I want to breathe courage into him and into the things that God is calling him to. And um, that's not only in how we prophesy words of encouragement, specific things that we speak with our voices, but also with our lifestyles, with our attitudes as prophetic people, that we are people of encouragement. And so I just want to ask the question this morning, um, would the apostles in your life, in your church, around your community, would they know that you are their biggest cheer section? Are they people in which you are intentionally looking for the gold in before they can see it? Are you asking God, what, what is the best for them that they can't see yet? Being people of encouragement. Those who encourage. Secondly, I think God is calling us to be prophetic people. Those who envision. Those who bring perspective. How many of you know that perspective changes everything? Right? Literally, perspective changes everything. This story has absolutely nothing to do with the prophetic, but it's just a good illustration of perspective. So I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Um, so my husband and I took a team out to India um, a couple of years ago. We'd been a, a few times to the same place, and we were taking a new team from the church. And uh, so the, these people in India that we'd come to see, same place, same churches, same leaders, they knew us, they knew what we looked like. And uh, in India, a little caveat to this story, it's actually quite a good thing to be slightly more on the, should we say, plump side, okay? If you've got curves, you're, you're doing great. If you've, if you've lost weight, there must be something horrendously wrong with you, okay? So, the conversation went a little bit like this, treat to my best Indian accent, so prepare yourself. The uh, young men come running up to me as soon as we walked into the church building. Oh, Hannah, Hannah, I am very worried. I look at your husband and he's he not looking so good, not looking so fine. Is there a problem with your marriage? 
because my husband had lost weight, okay? He thought he was doing great. They were all very concerned. Now, you can probably see where this story is going. The uh, women in the church were going up to Tom. Oh, Tom. Oh, Tom. Your wife, she looking so fine. So full in face. I was like, thank you so much. Delighted. Perspective literally changes everything, doesn't it? Something that I saw as a bad thing, they saw as a good thing. Um, and that, that verse that Stephen read us earlier, Proverbs 29 verse 80, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. I, I actually really love it in the message, it says this, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Prophetic people have their finger on the pulse of God's perspective. And our role is to share that perspective with others, to share it with those with an apostolic vision for their communities, for their neighborhoods, for those seven mountains of culture that Carl talked about. We have a vital role to envision the people of God at this time. That's what we do as prophetic people. We ask, are people hearing God's voice? Do they know his perspective? Do they know his heart on things? And if not, let's share it with them, both in our words, but also in our actions, in our lifestyle, in our attitudes, in the way that we do life with them. Let's share his perspective. And then, um, I think what that does is that it helps people see what is actually possible. You know, as prophetic people, we can often see quite clearly like what, what God's best is. But honestly, I'm quite surprised how often people just can't see this. So um, my friend Scott invited me to um, come and do some prophecy over some of the young people. He's leading this amazing youth community of young people in uh, Preston Pans. And they were, they were all there. They came. They were hungry. They had been explained to them that these people were going to listen to God for them. And honestly, it was like, as you spoke out over them, God's best for their life, it's like their eyes lit up. Because nobody, you know, they've not grown up used to people telling them the best for their life. They've not, they've grown up a lot of them in care. You know, the world looked at them and said, you are a problem, you are socially excluded, you are a misfit. But God looked at them and he said things like leader, yeah. entrepreneur social worker, mother, like amazing things. And these young people suddenly seeing with God's perspective, it was amazing. There was this one young girl particularly, absolutely broke me. God gave me a sense of a word for her, which was that um, she had a real gift of hospitality. So I just said to her, since you have a real gift of making people feel welcome, because I'd use non-Christian language, making people feel welcome, you make people feel like they can be themselves when they're around you and in your home. And I sense that God's bringing you into a place where you'll have your own space to be able to do that. And then she was like, wow, that's amazing. I've grown up in care. I've been in 16 different homes and all I've ever wanted is my own home. And I just got a flat last week and I'm so looking forward to welcoming people into that space. How amazing of God to see the best in her and to call it out. That's what the prophetic does. We envision the people of God. And then, lastly, those who stir up. So those who encourage, those who envision, and those who stir up. Prophetic people awaken. 
They call the church into action. But we don't just speak it. <laughs> we actually have a real role in acting it out ourselves. If, if I am going to prophesy about revival, which I do sense God is bringing, then I need to be prepared to be sharing Jesus with my friends. I need to act out. I need to live out the prophetic word that I am giving. I need to pioneer the breakthrough that I sense God is speaking. So it's really important for me as I engage with that stirring up that I'm intimately involved at a ground level being a disciple. I'm, I'm a daughter of my father before I'm anything else. And then, so for me that looks like in my local area, I'm part of a community that seeks to share Jesus in Oxgangs in the south of the city. Um, we're launching this thing called Messy Church and lots of exciting things are happening, but it's really important that um, as I do this stuff that that God's able to actually work it through my life and not just in the things that I say. Is this making sense? Um, so we stir up both through the things that we say, but also as we live the words. And then there's something mysterious about prophecy. I love this, that when we get God's perspective on people, his, his best for people, and we speak it out, something fundamentally real gets shifted at a spiritual level that creates a space for them to walk into what God has for them. That might sound a bit like weird, maybe for some of you, but it's, it's genuinely been my experience that when you speak out God's best over their life, it's like it frees them up to step into it in a way that they were maybe stuck or hesitant. So recently, um, this uh, young man came to our church and he uh, was part of a performers group who were performing at our church as a venue for the Fringe over the summer, which is going great. He was part of this group that was performing, so they were giving a short caveat as part of our gathering. And um, he was the only member of the group who stayed for, for the gathering. And I just felt God give me a word for him. So I went over and I said, would it be okay if I shared a prophetic word with you that I sense God might have given for you? He was like, yeah, that's fine. And it was around grieving his mother. He was significantly grieving his mother, um, who had died. But there was a, just a sense of, as I spoke out, what was happening in the present, it cleared a space for God to move him forward. And the reason that he'd felt so unsettled was because God was wanting to shove him forward. God had plans and vision for his life, and as I spoke them out on his heart for entrepreneurship and business and new ideas, and that God was calling him to be a man of faith like his mother had been a woman of faith, he was just like, wow, how did you know? And that's God. That's God, because the prophetic people are those who stir up and clear a space for people to walk into what God has for them. I have another friend, um, had a sense of God giving her a word about a new season and there being real playfulness and lightness um, in, in the way that she would lead in this next season. And so she went out and she bought two new pairs of shoes that looked like kids shoes. She was partnering with the word that God had given her. She was responding. And so spiritually and physically, she's stepping into the new that God has for her. And so the word that I gave it brought breakthrough and it stirred up at time when she needed to walk forward. Does that make sense? So, in scripture we see that Ezra and Haggai, they stirred up the spirits of the people to build. Ezra 5, Haggai 1, if you want to look it up. The prophetic word they gave created space 
for God to stir up the hearts of the leaders amongst God's people and see his will accomplished. So, encourage, envision, stir up. Three um, simple things that I just sense God would have us walk into as prophetic people. Um, and Stephen is going to come and just share a bit of testimony around what that's looked like for him and Angela. And then I'll pop up again. very much appreciated uh, what Carl brought to us earlier. Um, <clears throat> I'm appreciative too of uh, something I heard Kenny Rothwick share some, quite some time ago now, but on the, the fivefold ministry descriptions in Ephesians 4, that there's, there's a sense in the Greek, you could say apostoliki and prophetiki and evangelistiki. And I like that because on the one hand it, it says, you know, there's a, there's a bit of all of that in all of us with different emphases. And it also takes the emphasis towards the job and not the title. So we need to understand there are different jobs. These are describing different jobs which Jesus does in the church. Um, I've got one slide Fair bit of information on it. Can we? Yeah, thank you. Can we see that? Okay. Um, a key scripture in Ephesians four, when it's talking about Jesus, you know, he descended and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That and, and then there's a, a phrase which I think is so often missed that it's absolutely crucial and it's absolutely key in the whole of it. It says concerning Jesus from his place of ascended authority that he may fill all things. Uh, several times I've had a vision somewhat similar on each occasion and it's of Jesus on his throne and if you could just picture him on his throne but he's got his feet up and he's sitting down and he's got he's laughing the most amazing belly laugh and you can get the idea and we've had seasons of laughing and it was just like that but just taken to fullness if you like and what I read in it is that Jesus, he knows who he is. He knows what he's being given. He's totally and utterly secure in all who he is, all that he has, all that the Father has given him, all that the Father has put into his hands. He's totally secure about his mission. He's totally secure about what he is releasing into the earth. And he knows that it's good, and he knows that it's wonderful, and he knows that it's beautiful, and he knows that no power in heaven or in hell can stop his purpose and can stop his intent. And he knows that it's so good and so wonderful, and he's so happy happy about it and he knows exactly what he's releasing and the exact moments he chooses to release specific things into the earth he's so happy about it he's just laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing 
He is filling all things. And to fill all things, he releases gifted ministries who may empower and equip the body to release all of his fullness. So all of these ministries have vital jobs to do of releasing the glory of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, firstly the apostles, then the prophets, and then teachers and other ministries. And really it's a question of order, not of precedence. That to do the job of bringing the kingdom into a raw culture, it needs the apostles' ministry first. So we see historically in the New Testament, you know, the apostles followed by the prophets, then other ministers came. So what Carl was saying earlier is fits the scriptural pattern. But each of these ministers, we're focusing on the apostles' ministry, it's, it's, it carries something of the glory of Christ. We could say as a glory bond from Jesus being released into the earth. There's a truth, there's, there's something which is being established. Now we've lived in a season of prophetic restoration and now we're in a season of apostolic restoration. And because the, we say the prophetic restoration came first, on the one hand, that made a space, as Hannah has just been speaking to us, but on the other hand, we've lacked, to a certain extent, context. But now the Lord is giving us context, the apostolic context. So in a sense, because we say the prophets emerged somewhat first we've got to we've got to accommodate we say the apostolic thrust from Jesus which is coming and so therefore we need to discern the apostles ministry, we need to discern what I call the apostolic flow and I've put a, a phrase there you know Every apostolic ministry is different because it's given by Jesus for a specific job, out of his fullness. We all carry different measures of grace, and each apostolic ministry will carry its own measure of grace. And so there is this concept in Scripture, Paul talks about my boundary, or my metron, is the Greek word. I'm keeping to my metron, I'm keeping to what the job I've been given to do, and I'll not step on anybody else's patch, as it were. But, so Carl was mentioning, you know, apostolic ministry for the church, nation, businesses, culture. You know, I, if you like, it's three-dimensional. Jesus is building three-dimensional. And so, uh, somebody uh, in mature prophetic ministry some years ago gave myself and Angela a prophetic word. And it, you know, I've worked in the nuclear energy industry, and you, you know this symbol of kind of the three pointed things in the circle referring to nuclear energy. And he said he didn't know what, where I'd been working, but he saw this picture, this symbol, and he says, Yeah, 
I believe the Lord is saying it just like this. It's got several parts to it. You're called to work across different apostolic movements, different apostolic networks. And this is what we've done over the many years is we've, you know, the Lord first brought us in contact with mature prophetic people and that kind of caused us to grow in this area. And then doors opened and we started to travel in the nations. Um, and in the course of that, we started meeting and, and coming alongside, you know, powerful and effective apostolic ministries who, who've literally touched nations and impacted cities. And so we've learned to understand um, how to discern, we could say, the apostolic grace and what's the same and what's different. And if you build with it, you're blessed. If you try and build against it, you get frustrated. And this is a mistake I believe many people make. They, 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 they try and export something from one apostolic move into another apostolic move, and it's like there's a clash. Because it's a different, something different being established. And so there's wisdom there. But as we see the apostolic thrust and learn to work with it, then we will be blessed and we can build together. So just in summary, the prophetic needs the apostolic context. And the apostolic needs the prophetically established space. Several times um, myself and Angela, we visited the Pentacola revival and one comment which was spoken there for Steve Hill, the, say, the evangelist, he says, don't, somebody said, don't get ahead of the prophetic intercessors. So there's a teaming together, there's a job to do together. And so together we're building vision. What's important is, you know, the prophetic ministry, it's the testimony of Jesus. What is Jesus doing now in the earth? And so we're confirming, we can say the apostolic thrust, see nations, cultures, cities changed. And what you also see in scripture is both ministries are building ministries. Building ministries. So just to finish, my exhortation is, let's build well together. Great, thanks Stephen. We're going to take a bit of time just now, um, if we could go to the individual reflection slide, Nick, that would be great. So reflecting on... Um, particularly the things that I just shared at the back of Carl's talk, what would it look like for you to be this kind of prophetic person? So to be one who encourages, who envisions, and who stirs up. Um, so we're gonna have just 10 minutes. So this is for the introverts in the room. You are all gonna absolutely love this. 10 minutes on your own. You don't have to talk to anybody else or even look at anybody else. Um, just to sit with the Lord and to ask him, what would this really look like? And so my question is, what might need to stop, start, and change in you to be that kind of person? So really flesh that out practically. You know, for some of you, it might look like stopping doing something. Actually write down what is that actually. Um, and, and don't just assume, I don't, maybe this is just me, but um, I often think, oh, I don't need to stop anything. 
I'll just keep going with everything and add more things in. Um, but, but really think about that. What gives to make space and time for the new thing that God is doing and, and for being this kind of prophetic person? So 10 minutes just on your own, and then I'll come back up and lead us into a bit of group reflection um, from the things that Stephen just brought. Is that all right? Are we good? Great. Thank you so much.
Great. Well, I hope that was helpful. And um, there'll be plenty of space later to reflect on some of the things that God was beginning to speak to you about. And we're going to move now just to the next um, slide, um, which is, I would love you to get into little groups of between three and five people. Um, preferably, if you've come with people from your church, preferably in those groups. So I know there are a few people here from Central, but you're a bit more scattered about. You might want to just club together. If you haven't come with anyone, you've come on your own, that's absolutely fine. Just get into groups of three, four, five people where you are and just turn to each other. And I'd love you to ask these questions. What is the vision of your church? Where is there content that is of an apostolic vision and direction? So really try and identify what is the apostolic flow of the community that you're part of? And of course, we all might come with our frustrations about our local church context, even the most perfect church context, like mine. I'm joking you, it's not perfect at all. Carl will be the first to tell you that. There'll be frustrations, but just try and choose one thing at least, um, where there is content of an apostolic vision and direction. And then how as prophetic people could you serve this vision? So how could you start to encourage, to envision, and to stir up. And again, what might you need to stop, start, and change to enable your serving? If you would like a paper copy of that question, I do have some at the front, so feel free to come and get some, or you can copy it down um, from the slides. So we're going to have um, 15 minutes in groups just to talk that through and to share from each of your different um, communities and churches. And then we'll gather back together for a little bit of feedback and then tell you what's happening this afternoon before we break for lunch. That's the plan. Okay? Go. Oh, Stephen's got something. Um, the second question, where is the content that is of an apostolic vision and direction, just to help you there, um, you know, connecting it, what, what is being given to build? How is culture being impacted? How is the glory of Christ being released? So just connecting it with some of the things we've been hearing earlier, just in case that uh, question might be influencing some of it. Yeah. Great, thanks, that's helpful. Yeah, go for it. I'll call you back together in a bit.